Hello and uh, welcome to Talk Product. My name is Casey and the show is all about talking about digital product design, tech, life, and how to get into the industry. So tonight I get to talk with my really good friend, Ian Smile. Hey, Ian. How's it going, man? Good, man. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Uh, I mean, Thanks I already, for having me. Yeah, man. Uh, I already <laughs> know who you are. I mean, we skate like all the time and mm -hmm. um, super stoked to be talking with you tonight about Definitely. skating and design and all that. So if you would like, just tell me kind of a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Who am I and what do I do? Um, there's always the whole life story, but um, right currently I am living in Southern California. I work at Patty, so I design um, web apps for scuba industry. So that's pretty rad, um, something I never really dug into. I don't scuba dive, but I've learned a lot being a non-diver because you know it's a, it's a different spin on working, but I'm doing product design for them for like the past five years. Um, a little bit of backstory and i mean we could get into my my design stuff too but like i grew up in new jersey and that was kind of it was interesting because when when i was born in the you know the the northeast it was a time where there's a lot of a lot of different cultural things happening um, in terms of music and culture um obviously hip-hop in the you know i'm i'm old i mean i'm gonna I'm going to tell my age just by telling my stories um, coming up kind of in early hip hop, like Sugar Hill Gang, and then coming up on a, a steady diet of like Beastie Boys and Run DMC. And, you know, there's a lot of good heavy metal in there. And I got into punk rock in the late 80s. And that's a whole that's a whole conversation we can have, too. Um, but so yeah, I, I, yeah. <laughs> you got to grow was, up in that era because that's like all my favorite music. Yeah, it was cool. And it was cool because there was so much like coming up in the 80s, like I got Public Enemy right when it came out. It wasn't after the fact I got, you know, I, I missed Minor Threat. Obviously, I'm not that old, but um, I got it right when I needed it. Like I got a really good dose of um, college radio when I was like just out of junior high. So there was like there's a lot of stuff coming back. And I was like when Fugazi was getting big and like that's a lot of stuff that kind of shaped the way I look at the world. You know, I was, I happened upon some, some college radio station from North Jersey and like the first punk song I heard was screaming at the wall by minor threat. And then I heard bad brains and I heard op Ivy and it's just like the world changes. Like, you're like, this is my music. This is what I'm going to do with my life. So, and like with, with all that stuff also, there's like a lot of, um, like fashion and culture and how that influenced my design is another, another chunk of my story. Yeah. That's dope, dude. That's like, I'm also jealous too, because you started skating like right when it was like new, right? Like right Ish. when it was yeah. like big and like, because right when like, it was huge. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was like Santa Cruz vision street where, I mean, obviously a lot of that predates me with, you know, obviously the Dogtown stuff going back to the seventies, but it was like, it was a really good time. Like I started skating in 87 or 88 junior high. Like I just, I happened upon it. My dad had like an, an old aluminum, maybe it was a Makaha. I don't know. It was an old aluminum, you know, Cadillac wheels. And I just, you know, I'd, I'd sit on it and roll down my driveway and I was like, oh, I want to do this. And I found a uh, skate TV it was on Nickelodeon. And that was like, I saw that and I saw what California was and you see real skateboarding, you see people skating in bowls and stuff. And you're just like, I want to get a skateboard. And you, you know, you ask to go to the skate shop and you spend all your newspaper money, you know, working your, your grunt 12, 13 year old job and you dump it all on a skateboard and that influences the rest of your life. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's dude. pretty rad. Are you now like, I'm here in Southern California. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, do you think young Ian is proud that like, you actually did that. Like you, you got to move to California and actually skate yeah. like some of the best skate parks on the planet, like where we yeah. live. Like, I feel like yeah. we're like 25, 50 miles from all the greatest skate parks on the planet for the most totally. part. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's surreal. And that was like, that was kind of a cool thing. I didn't like, we didn't have a lot, like there's a lot of stuff going on in New York with skateboarding. Um, obviously, you know, it's shut in New York and you know, that was a huge scene, but in New Jersey, it was like, it was, kind of smaller pockets. There's a kid down the block that had a mini ramp. Um, but yeah, being here is just unreal. And it was also, it was kind of, 
it was a different thing because if you grow up here, you have access, you kind of have access to everything growing up here then versus all I had was skate TV and Thrasher and what you could see at the skate shop if they were showing a video, you know? So now being totally immersed in it is completely surreal. That's sick, dude. Yeah. When I was younger, um, the magazine that I grew up with was slap like slap magazine, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, in its heyday. And I would read it and like, I would draw the different skaters. Cause I mean, I'm still into drawing. Like I still love to draw. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't do it professionally, Mm -hmm. but it's something that I'm still like super passionate about. And I grew up like drawing those like different skater poses from slap Mm -hmm. magazine. And, um, yeah, I mean, I grew up skating curbs and cause we didn't, we didn't really go to very many parks when I was younger. Like we kind of just skated flat ground, skated curbs, skated to and from like the gas station to pick up mm-hmm. like Slurpees and stuff. Um, but didn't get too much into like actual vert, which was cool when I moved back to Orange County and then you and I like linked together and mm-hmm. you taught me how to skate vert. Like you taught me how to skate like my first, yeah. you know, transitions of that transition stuff. Yeah. 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 And we didn't have that at all in New Jersey. It was like, it was literally my curb until my dad helped me build. I built like a two and a half foot spine ramp that I just had on like the side of our house that I'd kick around on and terribly. But um, there was a, a roller rink in our town that was kind of famous that did a skate night. It was like, this is 1988, maybe 89. It's probably 89. And like Tuesday nights, they would open it up and one of the local skate shops would bring in launch ramps and, you know, flat rails. And it was, it was pretty rad. They had wall ride contests and stuff. Like it was really cool. So that was, that was kind of the thing. And I found out years later, you know, Mike Vallely and Chris Postras and Rodney Smith and all these like New Jersey, New York guys were there skating so it's like now there's footage that i'm seeing way after the fact because i was a 12 year old kid i didn't know what was going on you know but they were there skating so now it's like all this footage is showing up on youtube like uh eric monroe this guy who's a a photographer he's been posting stuff lately and i'm like holy cow like i might be in that crowd yeah it's pretty rad that's (laughs) dope man yeah yeah it's pretty rad yeah we went to uh, like some skate parks like we had a couple but they weren't very large and they were mostly built for bicycles i think because mm-hmm. it what like the way that the flow worked worked a lot better if you were on a bmx bike versus if you were pushing around a skateboard like the pyramid was too large it was yeah. way too large for a skateboard yeah. in yeah. my hometown like skate park. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and you had like you didn't have any stairs and everything was like right angles like yeah you had some weird embankments and like my wife and i we recently uh, went back and I wanted to take a trip down memory lane and I wanted to see that skate park again, since mm. I, you know, you got me back into skateboarding essentially. Mm. So I wanted to check it out and, and revisit it. And I was like, Holy crap, how did I ever skate this when I was a kid? <laughs> yeah. Like, this is so gnarly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's a different, it's, it's a totally different perspective, but for, also back then it took a lot of work to even find a skate park because it's like i saw there's one skate park called um madness I'm pretty sure called skateboard madness it was called it was like way out on long island and it was featured on skate tv so you have to like get a phone book or you have to call information i guess and find out where this place is because they're like oh out on long island there's this indoor skate park and i actually went um maybe when I was 13 that we drew, it was out, it was like three hours away. Like we had a family function way out on Long Island. I made my parents drive an extra hour to take me to the skate park just to check it out. And it was monster. Like it was, it was pretty cool. I had a roll in. So actually that was kind of the first time I actually skated anything kind of big, but yeah, it was, it was harder to find stuff. And, you know, I was kind of a shy kid and that's why I got into skateboarding too. Cause you didn't need other people. So it's like, because I only had, you know, a couple people locally that I, that I talked to and skated with, like if they didn't know about it, I wasn't hearing about it unless, you know, unless you could find it in the magazine or something. Yeah. And that's one thing that I really connected with, with skateboarding when I was younger. Cause like <clears throat> I was diagnosed with ADHD when I was uh, real little and now I have adult ADHD and <laughs> with people with ADHD, they tend to do more solo. Like, like I was into track and field 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was into skateboarding. I was into mm-hmm. surfing when I was when I was younger too, but I never really connected or cared about team sports. Like that wasn't my thing. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't competitive. Like I did not mm-hmm. care at all. But I loved to challenge myself. And I found that mm-hmm. with skateboarding when I was a kid, like learning to ollie up a curb just felt like the best thing ever. And then ollieing off a curb mm-hmm. and learning how to mm-hmm. do kick flips and stuff. And um it's very much like a solo act. Um, I mean, you can skate with friends, but for the most part, it's a battle with yourself. Really. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, it's, it's kind of good for, I mean, now it's kind of very much a different thing, I think, but there's still like the misfit aspect of it. Like, I think it's funny that you brought up um, drawing stuff out of the slap. Cause that was kind of the, one of the things that got me into art is, you know, I wasn't great at math. I wasn't really interested. And I was like, I was more creative focused and in like 86 probably i was doing bmx like before i skated i did bmx i did i got a diamondback uh, freestyle bike and i would buy bmx plus magazine and bob harrow did this comic called radical rick and i would i kind of learned how to draw from redrawing radical rick plus like bloom county cartoons and stuff but that was like one of the first things i remember about getting into art and seeing it paired with a sport you know, and just being weird and being kind of outsider and seeing kind of the, <coughs> excuse me, the, the subculture aspect of everything too, you know, that it can be more than just, it's more than just riding a bike. You start seeing like the fashion and how people, you know, act around, around the sport isn't the same as how you act in, you know, in a football situation or something, you know, oh, for sure. sports. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And what I love the most about skateboarding is there was no schedule. It's one thing that I hated when I was in team sports, like when I was in baseball. I loved baseball, but I hated having to devote every Saturday morning to it. Like Mm -hmm. I'd much rather just wake up on my own, call a buddy, and then meet up at like in front of the elementary school to to skate a three stair than to feel obligated to to show up for team practice. Like I hated it. My parents saw that early in me and then they just decided that it was cool with me to just not do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I got into track and field in high school and that was kind of a different story. Like I was yeah. a little more free form and there was long distance running. So I kind of, you know, we had practice, but it wasn't like traditional, like, like mm-hmm. team sports at all. You just kind of mm-hmm. decided when you were going to run, you would run with the group. And at the end of the day you were done. And then it's just like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool, man. So like with, with your design, like how did you actually get started in design? I get started in design, more um, archaic technology talk. I went to, I, I spent so much time in art classes in high school. It's kind of ridiculous. I got really deep into photography. My painting skills were lacking, but I could draw. Um, and I went and I I talked to this other teacher who wasn't my, my main teacher that I spent most of my day with. And she's like, oh, I have this program that I want you to see. And it was Photoshop. It was like Photoshop one or something. Cause this is like 1992, maybe it's like right when Photoshop yep. came out. It's probably a million dollars for that program. Um, but they had a Mac. Like I, I always had computers. Like I had a Commodore 64 when I was 12 or something and, you know, played games and learned a little bit of uh, basic code when I was a kid, but nothing, I mean, it's more copying out of a book than really understanding it. But um, she was like, Oh, you got to check this out. I know you're, really not into painting so it was like i got in that and i started i guess they had a scanner i don't know i remember taking a picture of the beastie boys out of a mac out of like a magazine whatever and putting photoshop filters on it and just like playing around with like oh the chrome filter like there's like a weird saran wrap filter is like it was kind of ridiculous but it was like you could put type on top of it and do kind of weird effects and stuff so like that was kind of a trip and then also in the same room they had a computer that this uh, this computer, I guess, computer science teacher, maybe, because this is high school, he's like, oh, I see you're doing that. You should check this out. And it's CompuServe. So he like, he set me up with a CompuServe account when I was, you know, 15 or something. And so I was going on bulletin boards and talking about music. So it's like, I just got so immersed in the computers that, you know, that paired kind of with all the music stuff where I was into music that was kind of heavy heavy aesthetic and lifestyle and culture 
that it kind of just made sense to get into design. So I just started applying to design schools. Like my mom was a teacher and someone that she worked with, uh, their kid went to this school out in Pennsylvania. So I applied there and I got in. So I went to school in, uh, in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, which is kind of Amish country. And that, that was really interesting just cause it was, I guess I live a life of constraints cause that was another thing where it was kind of removed from the city. It was like surrounded by farmland. Um, there were some cities, there was one really big skate park called magic skate park out in Reading, which is an asphalt park is insane. It was so rad. When I found out, I was like, oh my God, like this is, I want to, I want to live here, you know, but um, yeah, the, the design program was, was good. And because I, um, because I was getting into design at a point of transition where the internet was starting to get big, you know, bigger and more, you know, kind of website driven, not just text, you know, and IRC, like it was starting to, you know, GeoCities was starting up, there was web crawler, like it was actually building websites. Um, I got kind of a mixed bag of learning in that they taught a lot of traditional design. So it's like, we got a lot of typography. Um, we learned how to use stat cameras and this is all again, archaic technology, but we, we got into stat cameras and we got into learning how to do mechanicals. So it's like, where now when people are designing things, it's kind of magic. I understand how you do film separations to print a t-shirt or print a book or, you know, stuff like that kind of traditional, but there's also where we're getting into the digital thing. And that was, that was kind of weird. Cause we start, when I started in college, it was all floppy disks. So if you had an image, you had to cut it into multiple pieces and flip, you know, you'd have to switch disks for it to load pieces of the image into the memory to be able to print something. That's so nuts. I can't even fathom it's, that. It was ridiculous. So then <laughs> the zip disk comes out and they were like, they're, I had to explain to my parents what they were. And it was like, I think three of them were like maybe 50 bucks or something, but they were a hundred meg. And that was a godsend. It was like unlimited. <laughs> and it's funny. Cause like what they cost, like now you can get a terabyte thumb drive you know oh, it's sure. like it, i mean now it's everything's clouds everything's free anyway but it's like it's kind of crazy and also like i in my design career in new york i also had a sidekick um doing professional photography for getty images and that's another case where when i started out shooting and this is like 2002 the it was cf cards they were 500 meg and then like you could get a gig and now it's just like people carry terabyte drives and it's like you could take a million pictures you know so it's like it was interesting seeing all these different like stages of you know moore's law basically happening in real time in my life you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah dude it's it's just, it's interesting like hearing how different people started in design like you it sounds like a lot of it was photography driven and technology driven mm -hmm. and with aaron it was very like kind of music centric like he had to he mm -hmm. had to create assets and and band merch and stuff and t-shirts mm -hmm. and then it's funny like hearing how people start in a different creative field and end up mm -hmm. in like something like digital product design or like information yeah. architecture like it's it's nuts like for me yeah. for me it was very much kind of the same story a little bit like i would make my own version of like cd covers like mm -hmm. with photoshop with early photoshop Totally. So I would take like, you know, bands like AFI or, you know, mm -hmm. bands that were popular in like the 2000s, late 90s or whatever. And then I'd make my own cover for them. And then mm -hmm. I'd make my own copy of the CD. And then I'd mm -hmm. put that sleeve in the in the in the new like CD um, disc. And then mm -hmm. that would become like my own like, like that's your version thing. of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that's I mean, that is super punk rock. And that that's what was kind of cool is like. You know, if you look at the history of the Beastie Boys and like Glenn Friedman's photography of them, like they have such a specific look. Run DMC had a thing, you know, punk rock had a thing. And, you know, they it it didn't come from nothing like they created it. You know, everything's kind of collaged together. So it's like that's where the, the punk rock and like the DIY stuff like I started making zines in college. And then that, you know, that translated into the way I look at design and like also another thing that came out in I guess when I was in high school was uh, Raygun magazine 
And that was David Carson who did surfer back in the day. And he just did all this experimental stuff. That was like the most punk rock stuff ever. Like it was so crazy. And it was just like, he, he actually did an interview with Brian. And this is the most punk rock thing in the history of design. I think he did an interview with Brian Ferry and Brian Ferry wanted to approve it before it ran. And I guess the magazine didn't want to let him approve it. They want to run it as, as they felt, you know, as it was done. And there was like a bunch of tension back and forth and they ended up running the interview in dingbats. Like that was the compromise. And that was just kind of a, like, we're, we're going to run it, you know? So it's like, if you have, if you have OCR now and you wanted to scan it, you could probably read that article, but it was like, there's just lots of cool, you know, art, that's, what's great about art and design is they're always, there's always this like rebellious aspect of it. And that goes into the skate stuff too. Like that's the stuff that makes it cool, you know, super sterile skateboarding and corporate skateboarding doesn't really have any appeal to me. I mean, there's, there's value to everything, but like the stuff that's really cool that I want to be a part of is kind of grassroots. You know, I do a lot of work with uh, skate nonprofits and I'm a, I'm creative director for skateboarding hall of fame. So it's like, that's been really cool. And that's where you really get, you know, you get into the history of it and seeing what Craig Stessick's created in terms of an aesthetic for skateboarding and how that's like, that's totally permeated everything for decades. Like that's, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. It's cool seeing like the design stuff you've been doing for that, um, that group. It's C C S E F, right? C S E F. Yeah. C S E F. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. Like seeing all your pictures with all these like famous skaters and just hanging out Mm -hmm. with them and making banners for them. And it like makes me super jealous. Like, seeing those photos that you post on Instagram <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and that, it, it's, that's a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been really fun. I'm actually on the advisory board now. I'm not a uh, executive board member, but um, what that is, it's a college skateboarding educational foundation and we were raising scholarships for skaters. So that's like, they're, they're still going. I, I actually um, removed myself because I had a child. So just, time and effort you know so i'm i'm still in i'm still for the cause but they're they brought in some new people they brought in a a sociology professor from hunter college who's awesome so um, i'm glad that i worked with them i'm glad i'm still connected with them and i'm you know i'm always i'm always digging for the next thing so you know i'm working on i have a couple ideas for some nonprofit work and then i i'm just always doing stuff you know you always have to keep busy Dude, so, I, I feel like that's in our nature, like creatives. Yeah, like, yeah. for example, right before this call, I started playing with like NFTs. Like, it's such a wild mm-hmm. thing now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like I've missed the boat on so many random like trends that have come out over the years. And I was yeah, like, okay, I'm going to yeah. just jump into this. And right before this call, I made like a 3D trading card and posted mm-hmm. it. And I never like messed with 3D before in my entire mm-hmm. life. Like, I was always a 2D artist or mm-hmm. a 2D painter. Um, or even just graphic design. Like I never mess with 3D. And, yeah. you know, I was just kind of curious about it, played around with it, sh- quote unquote, shipped it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just like, yeah. okay, we'll see what happens with this. Like I have no idea and I have zero expectations, but it's just like, yeah. I feel like that's in our nature. Like, you know, we're, we're experimental. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know. Yeah. And that that's especially come back into play as a, a new parent. Like I have a 15 month old son now and play has like come back in like again again it's unfortunate um having to step away from from that role i'm still working with skateboard hall of fame and again you know trying to do other stuff but you know when you when you have a kid or when you have a life change like your perspective changes obviously your priorities change um and i've i've never laughed so much in my life you know and now now it's That's getting good, back man. into like we're gonna yeah. start drawing thanks you know it's like yeah we're gonna start drawing and we're gonna and he's gonna skate i mean he has a skateboard already so he's pushed around on it a little bit he's walking as of like two days ago so we're we're almost there he just has to get his balance on a skateboard <laughs> you know, we'll get we'll get there in a couple months probably but yeah so that's like and that i mean that goes back to the design thing is like you know play is everything experimentation is everything because yep. You know, especially in this world now where, you know, it's very, it's become so high fidelity that like just in the, you know, the couple of years that I've been doing user experience design, um, you know, it was so like, 
you have to have pictures of post-it notes up on the wall. You have to do your card sorts. It's all about, you know, smell like Sharpie and getting out of a, you know, getting out of the war room at six o'clock. And, you know, now it's just like Figma, high fidelity, you know, working, working in design systems. It's like, it is cool to be able to apply kind of um, analog aspects to life still, you know, in terms of creativity. And it, it's also more motivation to like start doing that zine and starting to do some other, you know, fun projects because we are a design system all day and we are shipping product all day and that's great. But I think you, I think everything in life needs balance. Yeah. And, and I like to circle back to that, like you mentioning play, cause I know you're huge into philosophy and I see mm -hmm. you posting quotes all the time. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of designers like work themselves to death <laughs> and don't really consider what they're doing to take care of their mental health more and making it more of a priority. And I yeah. feel like that's why skate, like something like skateboarding or surfing is so important to have mm -hmm. in your life. Cause it, it really does refresh. It kind of clears your, your cash in your brain, right? Cause you, you are mm -hmm. building design systems all day, thinking about product all day, and there's nothing to reset you. There's nothing that gets you back into that play mode. And that's why mm -hmm. I feel like it's so important to get involved with something that is essentially useless. Like when you're skateboarding, you're not accomplishing anything. It's like a, yeah. it's like a dance, right? It's like yeah. a, it's like an activity. Same thing with surfing. You're not being productive, but yeah. like I tell Laura after every surf session, I'm mm. giggly. Like I'm super yeah. happy. Yeah. Like it's a yeah. weird thing. Like all you day. get all this serotonin and dopamine yeah. after catching a couple waves. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And that's the best thing. And there's like, I, it's almost like the elephant in the room, really. I mean, people are talking about it a little bit, especially with some things that have happened in the last couple of years and even in the last decade, just in terms of, you know, expectation on productivity and how you need to um, constantly be producing and constantly. And I, I struggle with it. I think everyone struggles with it. Um, you constantly need to live your work. And that's where people start stepping back and they go, do I need this? You know, I've... I've met so many people. I've had so many conversations. Like I'm over, I'm, I'm 44, like I'm over 40. I've talked to so many like 28 year olds that are destroyed. So burnt out. They're just like, oh, I work 90 hours a week. It's like, is that sustainable? Like it's, you know, again, back to the balance thing, but like, yeah, you can be making a lot of money, but then like, are you going to have a heart attack at 40? You know, yeah. are you going to be, are you going to hate your job? forever you know like some people are happy with it some people are fine doing that and living living the life 24 hours a day for you know 70 career you know 70 years of a career but i don't know no and i've met a lot of designers in my life and you're definitely one of the happiest designers i've ever like engaged with or like <laughs> hung out with like seriously and it's because like you you have that real balance and it's so important like you need that like i was yeah. like that in my 20s um, I, in a sense, sacrificed my entire twenties to mm -hmm. work because mm -hmm. I didn't have a prestigious education. I wasn't super, um, you know, I didn't take a whole lot of AP courses in, in high school and I didn't mm -hmm. have a family that had a lot of money. So mm -hmm. I didn't have the opportunity to, to get a, you know, Ivy league or even just whatever education after high school. So right after high school, I went straight to the job force. Like I started working, yeah. starting at like 16 and mm -hmm. I haven't stopped since. And yeah. once I got into design in my twenties, like I was immediately like making money. As soon as I learned how to yeah. do web design, mm -hmm. I was making two, three times as much as I was making when I was changing people's tires or making people's yeah. coffee. Like yeah. I was making money left and right. Yeah. And it, you get obsessed mm -hmm. with it. You, you start like wanting to almost hoard it because when you grow yeah. up in a, in a poor, well, not it's it wasn't like super poor but looking back mm -hmm. on it, i was like okay we ate ramen all the time so i was mm -hmm. like okay well, yeah we really didn't have money but we but we still had a house we still had a, electricity but we mm -hmm. you know i had ramen and but looking back on it like with those insecurities with money it's like you kind of feel like you have to work yourself to death and that's what yeah. i did from like 19 to 29 mm -hmm. And I was super depressed, like around 27, 28, I went through like a depressive episode and mm -hmm. I had to like reevaluate what I was doing with my life and how I was um, piloting my life in a sense. And I had to make a change. And, mm -hmm. you know, ever since I started 30 and I'm now I'm 33, like I'm a totally different person, like yeah. getting away from where we lived before, you know, forcing ourselves to move 
Orange County in a different environment. You know, my wife can focus on school now and mm -hmm. I can focus on my mental health and be able to surf and skate. And, you know, I'm like a totally different person now. It's weird. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely feel that. I mean, I, I did 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 years in New York, which is, you know, pretty, and I didn't, I didn't work in ad agencies. I mean, I worked, most of my career was, um, kind of more in-house corporate work, um, some e-commerce the last like nine years that I was in New York, I worked in travel, which, um, you know, is marketing design and brochures and microsites and a little bit of everything and some product, um, some UX, depending on what, what year it was and what their initiatives were. Um, but it was, it was kind of a volatile company because travel's volatile based on, you know, world events. And especially now, I mean, we're seeing impact, you know, everywhere, especially at my job now, which is, a, you know, a, a sport and leisure industry that revolves around, you know, a good part of it revolves around travel. Um, so at my last job, I was 39, I was burnt out. Uh, the company got slammed. They cut a ton of people. I got cut, um, didn't make it to 10 years, didn't get my gold watch, whatever. Um, right. Yeah. It, and it was like, it was kind of an opportune time to get out of New York. And I just, you know, my, my wife's kind of lived all over the place, uh, grew up down South, uh, in DC and, uh, South Carolina and went to school in a bunch of different places. And I never really lived anywhere else besides, you know, when I went away to school, I was just always kind of New Yorker for my whole adult life. I lived in Jersey city for a couple of years, but, um, I was kind of just like, I need a change. And she found out about, uh, it's called the I Ask Summit. is an industry thing for skateboarding. So we kind of, she got me a dog and I spent a couple months walking the dog and working on some design stuff and planning our exit. And we got in our car and drove across the country timed with the I Ask Summit. So it's like, I, I moved here. Uh, it was like May, 2016 and, uh, we landed in Anaheim and we didn't have a place to live. We were staying in like Airbnbs and didn't have jobs. Like it was kind of cashed out some, cashed out some 401k. And I was like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try to get in the skate industry. So like the first day I was in a room with a, Jeff Kendall from vision who, who now runs, uh, run Santa Cruz skateboards up in, uh, you know, up North, uh, Paul Schmidt, Schmidt sticks, you know, just all these guys, Steve Van Doren from Vans is like all these kind of skate legends. And I was in a room with them, um, guys from Tony Hawk foundation were there. And the guy that was running the summit was also running skateboarding hall of fame. And he was, you know, he was a little bit younger than me and we just kind of hit it off and he said, I was passionate about it and I wanted to work in the industry. So he brought me on a skateboarding hall of fame. So I'd been doing that for, you know, a couple of years now we didn't, we didn't have the event and it's mostly, um, there's a museum up in, in, uh, in Simi Valley that the skateboarding hall of fame is in, but the, my main focus with it is the event where they do, uh, they do an induction every year. They've been doing that for 10 years minus this past year. And, um, so it's, it's doing all the promotional materials. It's doing merch. It's doing all the environmental graphics. It's doing all the, you know, social media stuff. And it's rad. Cause I, you know, with that, I built, skateboards with paul schmidt and i designed a skateboard with paul schmidt that so, was you know dude, that's a, dope. official that's legendary man. <laughs> yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's so no small like, achievement dude that guy's yeah, legendary yeah. yeah and he lives in costa mesa and like you know vision was here back in the day he was here and you know i just i met so many people the first day i mean i met gary scott davis who invented the boneless like the first or second day i was in california <laughs> yeah you know, so it's just sick yeah and just like fanned out, like you have to be cool when you work in the industry, but you still, you can't not fan out when you're like, ah, oh, there's Tommy Guerrero walking by, you know, there's Lance Mountain at the skate park. There's Grosso, there's, you know, whoever. Yeah. So that's just, that's been a, a kid in a candy store part of my story, you know? Yeah. This is definitely the place for skateboarding. Like, yeah. like you see those celebrities just in just small skate parks, like all the time. It's nuts. Yeah. 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 And it's just like, you, you realize that they're just people and like, they'll give you advice, which is ridiculous. Like when I, when I shot for Getty, like I shot Tom Cruise, I shot 
Tim Robbins, like just all these ridiculous, like the top actors in the world, like you shoot a red carpet and they're just there. Like I shot fashion and you, you, you know, the red carpet would be surrounded by all these super famous people. And you're just like, oh my God. And then after a while, it's, it just becomes work. So you kind of get like, like, not, I guess, numb to it, or you just realize right. that they're just people and that's their thing. So it's kind of the same thing here where like, yeah, you fan out, but like you, you can also be skating in Lance Mountains, like kind of side eye watching you or, you know, has so, gives out tips to kids. Like, <laughs> you know, he gives out to, if you're skating in front of him, he'll tell you how to do, if he sees that you're doing something wrong, he'll, he'll give you a trick tip. And that's like, imagine being eight, imagine being 12, imagine being 15 and like you know, Tony Hawk's at the skate park and he tells you, oh, flick, flick, you know, flick your foot that way instead. <laughs> yeah, dude. And the it doesn't kids even make sense. Here, they're like, they're on the next level. Like that's why they're so good. <laughs> yeah. The little kids around here, they're just like, like you remember going to, to Laguna and seeing those kids like drop in on the deep end just mm-hmm. casually. Oh, totally. Yeah. 12 yeah, foot. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a couple of little kids that like have huge Instagram influence. Like they have a mm-hmm. ton of followers, and they're just yeah. like dropping in twelve feet. Like mm-hmm. it's nuts seeing these little mm-hmm. kids like skate in person. Like I don't know that when even when I was younger that there were kids that that were that talented in skateboarding. Like it's gonna be crazy seeing what skateboarding is gonna be like in the next ten fifteen years. Yeah, yeah. I will say though, with all that though, I still like my story better. <laughs> I, yeah. I like that it took i like that it took work i appreciate it more because i ha- i have talked to some people that have been here the whole time and they don't skate anymore and they're just like you know you you get so used to it that's just like it's not as much of a thing where you know i i didn't skate i wasn't a street skater so i didn't skate as much in new york you know i skated a couple parks in new york but like now it's like the sky's the limit where they're like oh yeah i skated that 600 times i don't care anymore I don't need to, I don't need to get another another trick in that in that bowl or whatever. Yeah. And like on yeah. my side of things, like growing up street skating and you know, doing kickflips off of like two, three stairs, like nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. Like we would we would do whatever, like just standard mm-hmm. stuff when I was mm-hmm. younger. Like now transitioning into transition skateboarding, it's like a mm-hmm. whole different beast. Like mm-hmm. it's a bigger skateboard, wider trucks, like it's way more about speed. And yeah. like knowing where you're going to go next, like predicting yeah. how you're going to turn and if you're going to do yeah. a slash grind or not, mm-hmm. where with like skating curbs, you can go super slow and pull off like really cool tricks. Like it's a whole oh, totally. different paradigm. So it's like, yeah. I'm, I'm almost learning how to skateboard all over again. Yeah. I'm learning how to design all over again. <laughs> Dude, Every I day, feel like I'm like, like that too, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's good too. I mean, that's like to, to tie it back to the, to design and art and stuff. Like that's one of the things that's, you know, skateboarding gives you like, I'm definitely hearing it in you, especially since I've, I've known you since you've been skating the way you're skating. Cause it's been the last couple of years that we skate together, but like, it just, it really gives you a lens on how to look at, you know, I have, I have a lot of friends that are skaters and really good and they're into architecture and they're into city planning and like seeing that, like that's the stuff that I really love about it. Like I did a, a, a talk a couple, like six years ago, I think down in South Carolina um, about kind of that where, you know, everyone's kind of in this echo. A lot of people, I want to say everyone, a lot of people in designer in this echo chamber, where if you break out of that and start applying design thinking to other things, and then also marrying other external things into your design, it'll make you a better designer because you're not just reading Nielsen Norman website and you're not just reading, sorry to call people out, but like you're not just reading the websites and you're not just reading the books and the blog and the tweets and actually being out there like that definitely molds you as a person. And I think that, you know, that's the stuff with skating and with design and with art and whatever, like those are the things that you really put into what you're creating. And especially if you're, you know, trying to build communities and mentorship, like we have mentorship in, in skateboarding. I mean, you and me alone, just, you know, try it this way, try it that way, you know, seeing each other's progress. Like once you can see all those kind of spidered out things, and tie them back in i think that's that's where the power is created yeah for sure and i'm like i'm like nervous for 
designers now, like junior designers getting in the industry. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I had a break from Twitter for like a couple of years, like back in 2018. Um, Cause I was just kind of like burnt out with it or whatever. And then I got back onto it because of the pandemic and I was freaking out. Mm-hmm. Like everyone else was freaking out. So I like made another Twitter handle. And so mm-hmm. now all of the people that I follow and interact with, they're all juniors in the, in the, in the industry, like all young, mm-hmm. you know, early 20, 20 year olds and seeing the way like, that they put so much pressure on themselves now because there's a lot more channels to have people not just critique your work, but rate it and like it and share it. Like even when I was starting, like in 2008, there wasn't that much of a social media presence as there is now. And I'm seeing just so many people that are just, you know, blatantly depressed Mm -hmm. and overworked and putting a lot of unneeded pressure on themselves um, there's a lot of comparison going on um, with with younger like junior designers. Yeah, and that I mean, there's again pluses and minuses and balance, but that's that is where it gets a little bit dangerous. Is you know, there there's a constant conversation about imposter syndrome. I have it. A lot of people have it. Um, but yeah, like you you do also see some people on Twitter calling people out that like, oh, you know, you have 15,000 followers and you have, you know, X likes on Dribble or whatever it is, but it's like your design isn't good and you're just doing UI kit design. And, you know, it's it, it's become a popularity contest. And a lot of the popularity isn't, it's, it's based on, I don't want to say aesthetic because it's, it's not based on a lot of practical application. Right, yeah. And I think that's where I think that's where like dribble gets a little bit dangerous because you don't know the story behind it. Like a, a lot of design isn't award winning and isn't pretty and it needs to work and it needs to allow users to complete tasks. And that's all it's supposed to be. And if you can do that well and if you can keep it, you know, simple, that's as if not more powerful than something that's super jazzed out crazy. I mean, you look at some of the, some of the UI kit stuff on dribble and you think about it from an engineering perspective, the amount of work it would take to make that work (laughs) for the payoff is so minimal. It's like, it's cute and it looks cool. And, you know, it would look cool in an app and it would look cool in an app screen on my website. But like, is it, is it realistic? Oh yeah. It's all conceptual. It's all like kind of flashy stuff. And I get it. Like, um, the industry right now is more competitive than it ever has been. Like, Mm -hmm. um, like what I mentioned when I, when I really started getting into it in 2008, like if you told someone that you knew web design, then you Mm -hmm. would just start making money. Like, Mm -hmm. like I was able to get, um, work right like while I was in college, like while I was studying for it, I was able to get work, but now, I feel like it's become so large and almost so bloated that like people Mm -hmm. have to find new ways to get their name out there so that they can just get into a junior position. Like, I feel like it's so much tougher now. Yeah. You need, you need to be speaking. You need to be doing all this other stuff. Some people don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think understanding what's under the hood is definitely what people should be focusing on. Cause I think that'll get you farther in your career, like a skater um, slash engineer that I know tweeted a couple months ago about, we talk about movies all the time. And he, he was talking about how Kurosawa, I forget what the movie was. He said Kurosawa, when he was directing, if he had a village of houses, the houses had to have socks in the drawers. Because if they didn't, he would know that it was a facade. That's interesting. Yeah. Is that crazy? When I heard, when I read that story, I was like, holy crap. They're like, you know, no one's ever going to see any of those details. He's like, I'll know about them. It'll feel like we're in a, you know, all the old cowboy movies, the cowboy towns were just like the fronts of buildings besides like, you know, key locations. So it's just like, when you think about that, think about what's under the hood is so important. And I think if you can convey that, that's, what's going to get you the job more so than like, Oh, I have a bunch of, you know, obviously there's a first impression, with portfolio, but right. you know, that I think that's a conversation that people are going to want to have what's under the hood. What's your process and what's making the engine run. Yeah. Cause a lot of like coming back to the word that you mentioned, practical, a lot of like practical design, like real world application <laughs> is a lot of communication based. Mm-hmm. Like I'm constantly on the phone, um, conducting usability sessions with customers. Like I'm on the phone more often now than I am designing. Mm-hmm. 
like just talking mm-hmm. with customers, wireframing things up, getting some ideas and proving a hypothesis. So that way, when we actually move forward with the design process, it has some evidence backing it that it's actually um, wanted and needed from our customers. Um, yeah. You know, there's that skill set. There's the skill set of actual design thinking in like information architecture, wireframing, um, mm-hmm. all of that thought process behind just putting it like creating a pretty UI, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. need to be able to adapt and, and learn how to do that. And you only get that from practical application because then you start to develop muscle memory with it, mm-hmm. which is yeah, a shame. I, I because, was... you know, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, I love that Aaron said that this is a relationship business Yep. in your interview with them. Like it is so true. And that's like, that's one of the things that I would tell my, my younger self. Cause that's one of the things I didn't really cover in college was client services and how they, how they deal with people. It was more, you know, actually creating design versus the, we didn't have any business of design classes or I don't remember any conversations about it. It was kind of like you're, you're a graphic designer. Then you become an art director it's it was never about budgeting or anything or you you can become a manager you can do this and (coughs) excuse me (coughs) i would hope that's changed in design education but i don't know i mean i I would assume it some schools it has because i think now it's like it's talked about a lot more you know there's so many aspects to being a designer but some people just want to some people want to sit in photoshop all day some yeah. people want to do InDesign and do, there are people doing print design all day and they're fine with, you know, doing production work. Like there's, you know, there's necessity for everything. That's the great thing about this industry is like, it's so ambiguous. Like mm-hmm. you can be in design and there's like a hundred different mediums yeah. to create, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like for and me, it's good and bad. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. for me, yeah. I didn't, I like, I didn't design a single t-shirt. Like when yeah. I got into design, I, I was straight yeah. into the information aspect of it because I started mm-hmm. with web design. So I was more or less coding, creating websites, creating WordPress stuff when it was early, mm-hmm. um, even managing people's MySpace pages like way back in the yeah. day. Yeah. So I never dealt with print, but there's some mm-hmm. amazing information-based, um, really technical designers that started in print. Yeah, yeah. And there's value for it. And, you know, the, back to David Carson, like his book print is dead, but you know, it's obviously not, you know, that's always been the case of like, Oh, the, the old thing's going to go away, but it never really goes away. It just changes. Yeah. That's very true. That's the thing about this industry is it's constantly changing. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was playing with this 3d software that I just learned three days ago. My boss Mm -hmm. sent it to me. It's called Mm -hmm. um, spline. I think. And they designed it to where it's a lot like Figma. So it's very user-friendly for someone who's used to producing 2D design. So it allows you to create 3D assets on the fly. Like I was able to create like really cool cylinders and colorful gradient like balls and and cubes (laughs) and just like, just whatever. Like I never played Mm. with that stuff before, but it's Mm. another brand new tool that I can use to create, you know, visual assets. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Figma is definitely... They, they set the mark on what you have to try to achieve with with software, you know, with cloud-based software. It's it's so incredible what they've done, just the, the level of interaction that you can build, like the prototyping is amazing. And it used to, you know, you used to have to use a bunch of different tools. Now it's like kind of everything, even just being able to have like non-logged in users being able to comment, you know, you have your subject matter experts going there and, you know, rewrite things on the fly. Like that's, that's surreal. Cause what that used to take even a couple of years ago was so much work. Yeah. You know? And just seeing like yeah. other people's cursors, like on your, mm-hmm. on your art, art boards. Yeah. Like the first time I saw that, I was like, the fuck is happening? Like I've yeah. never seen yeah. two or three mm-hmm. cursors on my art board, art board before. And it like yeah. blew my mind. And before that yeah. I was using sketch, but then if I wanted to animate it, I had to use principal app. But then if I had mm. to connect that in a workflow, I had to connect that to um, InVision. Mm. And it's just like yeah. there's all these different tools and you get like a uh, kind of tool drunk. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And tool, tooling gets dangerous too because, you know, y- you need to know fundamentals also. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And the multi-cursor, there's a funny, someone said like, oh, you should go 
create an account with your CEO's name <laughs> for paranoia, have them drop in while you're doing like a, you know, doing a workshop and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of funny, but like people making notes to each other is like super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And like, there's, there's a constant people will have emoji wars every once in a while. Like when we just, we're losing it at the end of the day, just like start throwing emojis into, you know, around people's work, smiley faces or something. Or just be a complete jackass and bump up like one of their paragraphs by like 0.1 font size. Just <laughs> yeah. stupid petty yeah. shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, it's fun and it's definitely it's definitely changed the way I work. Like the the last year alone has been like phenomenal for my career. Like it's been so rad. Like I work with a really good team. Um and working remote has definitely changed. Um perceptions uh perceptions and expectations i guess because like you're always on you know you're always on meetings and you know there's a lot of uh a lot of psychological happenings tied to that so i think that changes i think it makes you grow a little bit more because i think if you're in you know we always have to be on camera like we can't turn our cameras off usually for yep. for important meetings and i think where you know, before when we were in a meeting room, a lot of people would just, you stare out in the space where I think you have to be more dialed in. So I think it's definitely helped us a lot in that you really know what's going on. Cause everyone has their laptops in front of them here, but like in a, you know, if you're in a conference room, you know, they're not paying attention cause they're doing something else and they're working on their laptop. You know, here you can see people's eyes the whole time. So you know, who's paying attention. So it's like, we have a, you know, a way better understanding of what each other you know what the product teams are working on yeah you know, besides all that besides all the ceremonial things that go along with you know agile so uh what design else are you working design. on um like i said i have a couple ideas for skate nonprofit stuff um i worked with a uh skate nonprofit right before i moved here called stoked and they do a uh, mentoring for high school kids around uh, skating and snowboarding. So it's like, that's what kind of got me into nonprofit. Cause I don't know that I ever really thought about it before. Um, and especially how you can align it too. Cause like I was a, I was a cub scout and stuff when I was younger, but like seeing the impact now and just seeing, um, you know, in inclusion in skateboarding is such a huge topic, which is incredible. People of color, um, indigenous people. Um, that's, that's really cool. And that like, that's one of the things, I mean, I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to talk a couple more minutes cause I wanted to throw a couple takeaways instead of just my, my biography. Sure. Um, like that's one of the things where, you know, if you skate, there is a group for you, you know, be it a social group, especially now because everyone skates, which is amazing because it, you know, it's always been kind of mostly guys and then, you know, females were the outlier and there were some amazing, amazing female photographers going back to the beginning, going back to the, you know, sixties and seventies that are legendary that are in the hall of fame because they were legendary. Um, but yeah, like it, it shouldn't have ever been separated. It's kind of a weird, you know, it's, it's not like the NBA and the WNBA, um, like the, the playing field's been kind of leveled, which is awesome because it's skateboarding. It's not supposed to be this thing, you know, it should be for everyone. So it's like, there's so many nonprofits that, you know, no matter who you are and what your deal is, you can find someone that will skate with you, will help you become a better skater and will help you help other people, you know? So that's where my, my nonprofit, like that's become kind of a passion project for me. Um, it's important that we're giving back. And that's kind of the punk rock thing too. Like punk rock, like you, you know, we created, I was a show promoter. I did zines. Like that was all about giving back to the community. And it's not like, I don't see that in pop culture or in, not in pop culture, but like in pop music, I don't really see that, that giving back and creating community. And maybe it's there. I mean, maybe I'm ignorant to it, but like with punk and, you know, hip hop, you know, there's breakdancing, there's emceeing, there's DJing, there's graffiti, you know, there's a fashion aspect of it. Same with skateboarding. Like there's so much that you could be involved in that regardless of what you do, you can get your hands in it. 
and you know people always ask me because they they see me i mean whatever they see me doing what i'm doing and i'm not you know i'm not trying to push my chest out about it but you know i do have a lot of people hit me up and they want to get involved and they ask me how to get involved and like you know i've a couple of the a couple of the uh students that got scholarships from csef were building skate parks in their town you know they're getting skate parks built in their town and they were trying to build mentorship programs and you know skate programs and stuff and it's like if you want a skate park built talk to tony hawk foundation or don't you know there are other there are other ways to get money and do you need a a six-foot bowl in your town or do you need a mini ramp and you know if you can get the people in the town to see value in it that you know we're you know it used to be ah oh, they're going to cause trouble now it's like it keeps you out of trouble it, it kept me out of trouble i mean there's always there's always stuff that goes along with anything but like if you can prove the value of building a skate park in the town they're probably going to say oh you know we're going to we're going to set the rules but we'd like to do this and that's you know, that's pretty powerful too yeah especially when you're like a young kid and you have all that energy and you want to get into some bullshit, right? It gives you an outlet to get all that mm-hmm. energy out. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was kind of the same way too. And you see that with some of the local parks around there. Like, like you mentioned, like with punk rock and skateboarding, giving, giving back mm-hmm. to the community. Like you don't see any other um, leisure activities like skateboarding that are building mm-hmm. parks, that are yeah. building DIYs. Like there's a couple of DIYs down the street from from my apartment that, you know, they have their set of rules and everyone follows, mm-hmm. everyone respects the park. And you don't get that with, with anything that's, that's unlike skateboarding, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just seeing like what van, I mean, vans is, you know, they're them, they, they have the the money and the reputation to be able to do it. Um, but what they've done for ecological disasters, you know, when, when Houston happened, when, you know, whatever's going on and where a town gets hit, they show up with sneakers and they show up with clothes and where people lose, you know, everything vans has, I mean, that's why vans is one of the, one of my favorite companies on a lot of different levels, you know, besides the legendary status, you know, within skateboarding and surfing, but like what they do for communities is amazing. And they give out so much product and there are whole towns of people wearing vans that lost their shoes in a flood or in a hurricane or whatever, you know, whatever it was. And that's like, again, that goes back to the, you know, skateboarding is powerful. I think that's so rad. And it's not just Vans. I mean, there are other brands that do it, but like Vans is, they're they're very, uh, they're very culture focused and they're very people focused and they care about people. And that's, you know, that's why I'm calling them out, you know. For sure. That's another thing that's great about skateboarding is there's such a low barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. like it's not like snowboarding where you need to like go up into the mountains, mm-hmm. have like an expensive snowboard, have mm-hmm. to, you know, pay the cost to stay in a cabin or whatever, or mm-hmm. even surfing, like surfboards are super expensive. expensive. You need to be yeah. by the beach. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different sports that require situational um, aspects to it, but that's not skateboarding. Like yeah. if you've got yeah. even 50 bucks, like you can get a mm-hmm. really cheap board mm-hmm. and that's your barrier to entry and you can get started and you can start learning. Like I yeah. remember when I was a kid and I got my first skateboard, like building your first skateboard, it's like, it's like having mm-hmm. Excalibur, like it's mm-hmm. having your own thing. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? Like you build it, you make it yours. And that's, that's now yours. That's now, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's a very personal thing. I feel like. Yeah. The executioner, the Nash yeah. executioner. <laughs> I had a, I had a Veriflex T board as my first board. And oh, funny, yeah. I, I actually got, uh, I actually got it back, which is kind of a weird story. Like a couple of years ago, um, Darren Navarrete had one in his basement and he was going to throw it out and Shreddy Mercury, John Marino, um, ended up taking it and he posted a picture of it. And I was like, that's the first board I ever had. You know, I commented, I was like, oh, that was the first board I ever had. That's so crazy. And he gave it to me. So I have it at my garage. So Dude, that's sick. You know, that's so, awesome. yeah. so I have pictures of me skating it in like, you know, 19, whatever, 1980, whatever. And I'm going to have a picture of my kid at least rolling on it. I mean, it's totally dry rotted. It's 150 years old at this point. But <laughs> it's like, it's basically held like together by the bolts. Yeah. yeah. It looks like cardboard held together by screws. 
That's bad. But the wheels are on it. Like the wheels and the trucks are in good shape. It's like it's rad that I I got that back. And that's like those are the memories that, you know, I remember the first like my dad got me that board. I remember the first skate shop I went to. I remember I got the Mike Valley elephant board because I'm that age. Um, but like you remember that stuff and you remember the first ramp that you built with your dad and all that stuff. And like, that's pretty rad. You know, those memories are insane. Yeah. And I still use the same setup that I built from my very first board, uh, Mm -hmm. bones bearings or no bones, wheels, pig bearings, Mm -hmm. independent trucks. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now I just, it's whatever deck. Like, I think my first deck was a blank from, it was called Jay's board shop. And I remember it was blue. It was a really pretty looking blank. Um, yeah. But yeah, I still like it's nostalgic. Like I said, it's like yeah. Excalibur. It's your it's mm-hmm. your personal thing. You mm-hmm. remember when you build your first board and you remember the specs and it yeah. becomes a part of you. It's weird. Yeah, oh, totally. Even totally. from so long yeah, I, ago. I had tracker trucks and slime balls. On the first <laughs> board. Yeah. Yeah, dude. 80s was, yeah. was a whole different thing. Skateboarding. <laughs> and I, I still have those slime balls in my garage i have like all the wheels i ever skated yeah yeah cool man yeah so that's that's my life and just like to to everyone out there listening like stay interested stay in the community keep building you know go outside we all need sunlight and you know you need you need experiences and that's what it comes down to and like you're not you know you, there are a lot of things you can get out of and i i hate sounding like a psa right now which is ridiculous but like you know you can get a lot from you know staring at a screen all day but like outside is where the people are absolutely man <laughs> well uh dude thanks again for being on the podcast and uh can't wait to skate with you again it's always good talking Definitely. with you so uh, i appreciate it again dude Cool, man. Cool. Later. Thanks. See ya.